Welcome back to the podcast. We are continuing our Keep the Fires Burning series today, a study of the minor characters of the Bible. But before we jump into that, I want to let you guys know a little bit about the ministry here at Evidence for Faith. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we are much more than just this podcast. We have a website where we publish all of our content for free. Um, we also do a lot of free speaking events around the Midwest right now. Hopefully we'll be able to expand that this fall uh, to the East Coast. <laughs> and we also do some specialty trip for which sometimes we're able to give out scholarships uh, to help kids and participants, not just kids, um, experience God in a different context, whether that's through um, uh, archaeology or history and science. Um, and the reason we're able to do all this for so cheap, which is basically free, um, is because we are 100% donor supported. Michael is able to develop uh, these lessons and speak full time because his salary is paid through donations. He's able to hire people like me to help him with the technical side because that is all funded through donations. All the donations that come in are put back into the ministry or put towards uh, doing ministry work, whether that's helping getting to places that may not be as financially able to host us. Uh, we use donations to help uh, fill out that last bit so they don't have to worry about um, all the financial um, barriers that might be in place uh, for where they're at, um, or whether that's to help keep this podcast going and pay all of our bills. <laughs> Every donation goes back into the ministry and helping supporting uh, the ministry. So if you'd like to become a donor or if you'd like to make Evidence for Faith a part of your financial planning uh, for the year, you can go to evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. Or you can just scroll down on this podcast and click the top link in the description. That will also take you the page and help you um, give you instructions on how to give online or if you want to give through the mail. So with that, let's get into our study today, and I'm going to let Michael take it away with Keep the Fires Burning, uh, and let's meet Aaron. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane, again, coming to you. And thank you for joining me today as we continue in our series on uh, what we call Keep the Fires Burning. Now, these are minor Bible characters, but major lessons that they teach us on how to keep our walk with God going strong. And in our lesson today, actually, some people might say, wait a minute, that's not a real minor character, but it's one that we often don't talk a lot about. I mean, we know him, but we often don't study him and try to learn from him. I have, at least in my experience and sitting in sermons and stuff, I have seen very little sermons ever done on the character called Aaron. Yes, Aaron. And his lesson and what he can teach us on keeping our our walk with God going and our fires burning for God is all about giving into social and peer pressures, because this guy really faltered uh, in this avenue. So our text uh, from the Bible that we're going to be studying today is Exodus chapter 32. So if you have your Bibles, and if it's possible for you to turn follow along with whatever translation you'll be using, we're going to be using the English Standard Version for most of this, but parts of it I'm going to go to the God's Word translation, which is just another translation. It's, it's very easy to understand. It's written on a lower reading level, but um, it just really makes it very, very plain. It's a, it's a very... Very good translation, in my opinion. Um, going, taking the wording from the uh, ancient manuscripts and putting it into a language we can understand. Um, 
uh, a lot easier than some of the others. But anyway, that's the one. Those two texts are, uh, are um, those two translations are what we'll be using in this. So as we get started, I want to tell you about something here is um, just to start off. In his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite authors, um, he cites an interesting story. It goes like this. <clears throat> Once a spider built a beautiful web in an old house. He kept it clean and shiny so that the flies would patronize it. The minute he got a customer, he would clean up after him so that the other flies would not get suspicious. Then one day, this fairly intelligent fly came buzzing by uh, the clean spiderweb. <clears throat> the old Spider-Man called out, come in and sit. But the fairly intelligent fly said, no, sir, I don't see other flies in your house. I'm not going in alone. But presently, he saw on the floor below a large crowd of flies dancing around on a brown piece of paper. He was delighted. He was not afraid of it if lots of flies were doing it. So he came in for a landing. But just before he landed, a bee zoomed by saying, Don't land there, stupid. That's flypaper. But the fairly intelligent fly shouted back, Don't be silly. Those flies are dancing. There's a big crowd down there. Everybody's doing it. That many flies can't be wrong. Well, you know what happened? He died on the spot. Some of us want to be with the crowd so badly that we end up in a mess. What does it profit a fly or a person if he escapes the web only to end up in the glue? <laughs> I love that story. <clears throat> it's, it's an interesting story, a little humorous, but it's got a good point to it, and which is what we're going to learn also from Aaron today. Now, let me just ask you, do you ever have problems with peer pressure or social pressures? I mean, most people do in their lives. We see ads on TV, uh, computers, our phones, magazines, newspapers, etc., on handling these. But even so, this is an area of difficulty for many people, including... Christians. Usually the topics deal with peer pressure are um, things like drugs or sex, drinking and such. For social pressures, the topics are often dealing with clothing, cars, opinions, oh my gosh, uh, political aspects, materialism and such. But one topic that is covered by both peer and social pressures deals with the spiritual walk with God. People will say, I love being at church because I can show my walk with God here among others who are walking with him. But at home, work, or at school, I can't show it, or people will think me weird or strange. Now, that is a comment that I have heard many, many times, and one I can understand. For when I was a teen, I knew what it was like to um, let my faith show, being labeled a weird person. I, that happened to me. Uh, some people today might say that has, uh, time has not changed that. <clears throat> I realized early in my Christian walk with God that Christians are strange people. I mean, we are strange. If, if you live the Christian life, you're not going to fit in with the world. I mean, people who follow God are just like that. Have you ever examined the life of Elijah or, say, John the Baptist? Have you ever looked at them closely? They had a close walk with God and were really strange. 
I mean, the way Scripture describes their appearance alone is strange. They just didn't fit in with their peers or society because these guys were so strong in their faith. But what about people who aren't as strong in their faith? One such person who yielded to peer and social pressure was that famous brother of Moses, Aaron. Now, who is this Aaron guy? Well, there's a dozen facts in the Bible that the Bible records about this famous guy. Let's just look at these briefly, and I'll give you a passage in many cases where you can um, see I'm not making this up. First, he was the older brother of Moses. I think everybody gets that. If you've even watched the Ten Commandments on TV with Charlton Heston, you catch that one. Uh, second, he was the first high priest of the Hebrew nations. Now, that goes back to Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. Third, he was Moses, uh, Moses's public spokesman. Yeah, he was the spokesman for Moses, and we take that from um, in Exodus chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Uh, we will see that he is also uh, um, 83 years old. Yeah, 83 years old when he began his ministry with Moses. Um, and that is actually found in Exodus chapter 7, verse 7. So he's 83 years old when he begins his ministry. Fifth. He performed miracles before Pharaoh. That's found in Exodus chapter 7, verse 10, and also in Exodus 8, 6. A sixth fact that we can see, he was present with Moses when God spoke about Passover. Um, he's standing right there, Exodus 12, verse 1. A seventh fact we can come across, he was a major player in the entire Exodus, that, that whole section, um, the Exodus uh, from, of the Hebrews from Egypt. Major player in that. An eighth fact, uh, the people blamed him along with Moses about the harshness of the wilderness when they rebelled. And that's recorded in Numbers chapter 14, verse 2. A ninth fact about this fellow Aaron is that he helped maintain order and rendered judgments over the people along with Moses. That's in Numbers chapter 15, verse 33. A tenth fact about this man is he was the supervisor of the tabernacle and its furnishings. And we can see that actually recorded in Numbers chapter 4. An eleventh fact, he was not allowed to enter the promised land due to his sin of not upholding God's holiness. That's recorded in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. And then the last of these 12 facts, 12, um, he died on Mount Hor after transferring his garments and title to his son Eliezer, and that's recorded in Numbers chapter 20, verses 22 through 29. So Aaron was a very important person and a major player, a major player to the Israelites as the Exodus occurred. Now, he's also the high priest of the Hebrew people, though he was quite imperfect. Uh, Jesus <clears throat> is now in the position of the high priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, and that's recorded in, and talked about in detail in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, and also in Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. We read about Jesus um, being the high priest today. But he was the high priest, um, the first high priest of the Hebrew nation. Now, as, as important as Aaron was, he did have one major character weakness that was manifested um, at Mount Sinai. He gave in to peer and social pressure in a bad way. 
I mean, let's set, first of all, the flawed scene. The Israelites are camped at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses has ascended the mountains with Joshua going part of the way up and has been, they've been gone, uh, Moses has been gone for 40 days and nights. So that's the setup. And we're going to pick this up in Exodus chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 13, 14, and 15, and then verse 18. And this is out of the English Standard Version. <clears throat> so Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And skipping down to verse 18, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, as we said, Moses stated to the people before he went up that if a problem arises with the group in the nation below, or if the people become restless, as Moses is not going to be with them, he's going to be up on a mountain, Moses tells them they can go to Aaron, his brother, for leadership. So that's what was set up. Well, as time passes, these 40 days, 40 nights, and um, Aaron, as we see it during this, has been the camp director now for about 40 days. So he's the director of the camp. And he is the leader in the absence of Moses. Moses directed that. Um, after all, I mean, he's Moses' brother. He's He's been there in leadership, in this leadership position, and have witnessed the mighty miracles that he and Moses had, had done. Um, he, the death of Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea, manna appearing mysteriously in the wilderness, quail coming directly into camp when the people were hungry, water from a rock, a barren, barren rock on top of a mountain in a barren land, the miraculous defeat of the Amalekites. I mean, Aaron has been there right with Moses through all of these things. And one would think that the faith of this nation at this point would be really, really strong. They have experienced what no other people had ever seen or experienced before in human history. This is just dynamic, how God has been making his presence known uh, throughout the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, his Shekinah glory has been shining and stuff. They've got to see all this. You would think the faith of this nation would be so strong. Now, really what's happening is this time period in the Israelite camp may be similar to what possibly you have experienced maybe when you came to Christ for the first time and uh, and uh, you know uh, received salvation remember what that was like or maybe you have seen firsthand god's provision in your lives in some way maybe you have actually seen some way that god really manifested himself maybe you've been or you've had a personally experienced god's mighty power over evil Maybe you've heard fantastic sermons or lessons directly from his word being spoken that really stirred your soul. Maybe you're on fire right now for God. But sometimes, um, but times sometimes come and will hit us when we'll go through doubt and we'll go through despair and maybe suffering comes. Things happen that we don't plan on and they happen. I know many men of God who actually hate Mondays. 
Yeah, they hate Mondays. Of all the days of the week, that's the day they hate the most, because particularly if they're serving God on Sundays, and many times they'll see God's work strongly occurring on a Sunday, and but then there's the absence afterwards, the next day. The people are gone. He's uh, The man of God is, is sitting there at home um, or maybe in his office, and there's an absence, and depression easily sets in. I remember reading one time that uh, the evangelist Billy Graham, after those crusades that he was so famous for doing, as soon as they were over, he would go into a state of depression. Sometimes that happens. After we've experienced, what I'm trying to say is, after we experience such amazing um, works of God, the presence of God, uh, his, his providence, his, his nature coming before us, and we witness all this sometimes right after we struggle. We do. Well, the Hebrew nation experienced that too. Now, in Exodus chapter 32, I want to read verses 1 through 6. And here we're going to go to God's Word translation to make it a little easier to understand. So, it reads, When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. They said to him, We don't know what's happened to this Moses who led us out of Egypt. Make gods who will lead us. And Aaron said to them, Have your wives, sons, and daughters take off gold earrings that they're wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their gold earrings and handed them to Aaron. After he had worked on the gold with a tool, he made it into a statue of a calf. Then they said, Israel, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, He built an altar in front of it and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival in the Lord's honor. Early the next day, the people sacrificed burnt offerings and brought fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to a feast, which turned into an orgy. Yes. After all they had just experienced, all these miracles, look how they have fallen so quickly. And look who led them to it. Now, many people incorrectly think that Aaron and the people turned away from uh, the the Israel God here, the true God, Yehovah or Yahweh um, at this time. That is not exactly what happened. Oh, no. Notice that they made God into an image of a calf. They're honoring the same God that brought them out of Egypt that did all of this. They're just making an image. They made an idol of him. Um, It's the same God that they had been following all along through the desert, but they made him into an image of a calf, a golden calf. And this is, of course, a major sin, for they'd made an idol of God to worship, and they were worshiping him. Uh, They were doing burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Um, They even had feasts together and stuff. They were worshiping, but they were doing it totally incorrect. They were doing it totally wrong and not the way God told them to. Matter of fact, they just directly went against what God commanded. God had previously told them not to do this. If you'll recall back in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 7, again, at this point we're going to be out of the um, English standard, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but show steadfast love 
to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, it's interesting. Archaeologists have uncovered many idols in the Middle East. I've seen dozens of them on my tours and trips that I've taken to, to Israel. Um, and some that have been discovered are actually a calf, um, idols that were calf. And we know, um, the science of archaeology tells us, but also scripture too, that people would often make God into the image of a calf. And they would depict uh, Yahweh as a calf. That's the way they pictured him. God was insulted by this. He has every right to be insulted by this. So they were doing what was totally wrong. And even the worship that they were doing was totally wrong. What happened was that the people, the peers in the society, demanded an idol to see and touch As Jesus said to the woman at the well in in John chapter 4, God is spirit. So they don't want a spirit God. They want one they can see and touch. So the people go to Aaron. Since Moses was gone, Aaron was now put on the spot. He's in the spotlight. This might be similar to you. Uh, maybe of what you face, maybe at work or at school or in your neighborhood, when people put you on the spot about your walk with God, they come and ask you your opinion on what you're supposed, you know, what should be done. What's the correct way of doing something? Aaron could have been strong and led the people to what was right and true. But under peer pressure, he fell. People do the same thing. Christians at times do the same thing. How exactly did Aaron go wrong and stumble, though, considering everything he had seen? How did he do it? Or if you're in your neighborhood or at work and someone asks you a question, what do you think is right about this? Do you give in to peer pressure? What do you do here? Well, Aaron made basically six blunders, if you study this, um, six blunders in his walk with God at this point. First, um, he gave into peer pressure and viewed the people's opinion higher than God's. Right there, we have a major problem. Anytime we do that, that we take people's opinion over God's opinion, that's just wrong. And that gives in to peer pressure. And the church is doing that so often today. Second, he compromised truth for the popular opinion of the people. Aaron knew what was true. It wasn't that the Ten Commandments, he, he hadn't read them or heard them. He knew what they were. But he compromised what truth was because of the people. Third, he didn't want to appear different from those around him, right? There, there, are, there are so many, um, so many different opinions and stuff around, and he reasoned that, well, if there's this many people siding with, with um, doing this, that, well, if there's that many people, he reasoned that, that they must be right. Because the, the, the majority is sort of ruling here on this. So if you have a bunch of people saying contrary, something that is contrary to God, well, the people must be right. That's what he made a mistake with. He let the numbers influence him instead of the word of God. Fourth, he didn't want to lose his leadership position that he had with the people. 
Do you know, the fear of demotion will scare many people into doing something wrong, even when they know it is totally wrong to do. I've seen it. Um, I've seen people make some major, major errors as they lied to get a promotion. Listen, if you're struggling because you want a promotion at bad, if you're really wanting a promotion at bad, I have to ask you, why are you wanting the promotion so bad? Is it not a pride issue? I mean, if God wants you in that position, don't you think he's going to get you in that position? I don't think you have to go out and struggle and work your way to try and get on top, walking over in people and stuff like this. If God wants you in a position, he's going to set you up for the position. If he doesn't want you there, maybe you shouldn't be there. So don't go looking for it. I've heard a couple of different um, wise uh, men tell me just in the last few years that, uh, and I've heard on sermons and stuff too, that we shouldn't go looking for promotions like this. That we just start like trying to sell ourselves because it's a pride issue. I didn't understand that when I was younger, but boy, I see that now. A fifth thing that he did, he just flat out chose to neglect God's word. I mean, that's a huge mistake. He chose to follow society over God's word. A sixth mistake that he made, he made excuses and altered God's word to fit his own dreams and his ideas. Again, this gets into pride. And today we see that so prevalent in society and even in the church. People will alter the meaning of God's word to suit society or their own sinful desires. Let me repeat that one because it's so common in the church today even. People alter the meaning of God's word to suit society or their own sinful desires. Meanwhile, as this is taking place up on the mountain, God knew what's happening. He knew what was going on down at the camp down below. And he tells Moses to now go back. We're going to pick this up. This is Exodus chapter 32. This is verses 7 through 10. This is out of the God's Word translation, so we can understand it maybe a little easier. The Lord said to Moses, go back down there. Your people whom you brought out of Egypt have ruined everything. They've already turned from the way I commanded them to live. They've made a statue of a calf for themselves. They've bowed to it and offered sacrifices to it. They've said, Israel, here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. The Lord added, I have seen these people and they are impossible to deal with. Now, leave me alone. I'm so angry with them. I'm going to destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. God was, in a way, testing Moses with this. But the thing is, God doesn't compromise with society. You notice this? You have a whole nation, a whole nation saying what is true, what is real, which is contrary to what God has said. Does God compromise? No. His word is truth, and he hates sin. It's that simple. God does not compromise. He will not do it. He was going to destroy them all and begin a whole new nation with Moses, but he relented from wiping them out at this time. Partially, if you're confused by a little bit of this, I'm not going to go into a great detail here, but partially it was a test of Moses, but it was also a prophecy of what was going to happen in the future. But anyway, Let's continue. In Exodus 32, verses 11 and 14, again, we're going to pick this up and read out of the God's Word translation, and it reads 
like so. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Skipping down to verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he spoke of bringing on his people. See, the people were spared because Moses intervened for them. And as I said, this is prophetic. It's symbolic of what Jesus does for us. Also, he was giving a test to Moses. Moses could have easily thought, wow, I can have a whole nation after myself, but he didn't do it. Moses doesn't yield to the sin uh, of pride. He's testing Moses, too, at the same time. But isn't that cool? This is exactly what Jesus does for us. He intervened for us. Jesus intervenes for fallen man. Because we sin and disobey God, we're supposed to die. Yet Christ intervenes for us. How cool is that? And his blood covers all of our sins. 1 John 1, 7 and verse 9 tells us the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of our sins. Picking up the story again, Moses then confronts Aaron. Yeah, this ought to be good. This is Exodus uh, 32, verses 21 through 24. We'll do this also out of God's Word translation. Moses asked Aaron, What did these people do to you that you encouraged them to commit such a serious sin? Don't be angry, sir, Aaron answered. You, you know that these people are evil. They said to me, we don't know what happened to this Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. Make gods for us. Uh, they'll lead us. So I told them to take off any gold that they were wearing. They gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. I mean, can you believe this? <laughs> can you believe the excuses that Aaron is giving Moses? It it's an excuse, all right. I mean, wow. He's trying to get out of this mess now by making up a story, changing the truth. Um, and this story is supernatural, even, that they took gold, and Aaron took gold and threw it in a fire, and a calf came out. Really? Is that what? <laughs> That's not exactly what happened. But this is what he's trying to sell Moses on, that the calf just forming came out of the fire. I mean, come on, Aaron. Moses isn't going to buy that. Nobody's going to buy that. But did you notice what Aaron did when he was confronted? He makes an excuse instead of admitting his failure. He lied. He also tries to shift the blame from himself onto the people. He does not accept responsibility for his wrong actions. This guy's supposed to be a leader. A leader accepts the responsibility when they screw up. They don't pass it off to their fellow people and stuff. He was supposed to keep the people encouraged and walking close with God, but instead he failed miserably at this. Then he made up these excuses. Sound familiar? Have you seen people do the same thing when they mess up? I have. Maybe you've done some of the same thing Aaron did here when confronted by someone about your compromise to what was right. People still do the same thing today as Aaron did back then. And when confronted by Moses, they make up lies and excuses. When confronted by a boss or a person you're, you're under, you make up lies and excuses. How much more impressive it is when someone just admits, yeah, I did this. Sorry, I screwed up. Obviously, Moses is mad. God is mad. Look what's found in Deuteronomy when this event is summarized later on. 
just before they enter into the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 9, verse 20, as um, God is telling Moses to write this down and summarizing this past event, the Lord also became very angry with Aaron and wanted to destroy him. But at that time, I prayed for Aaron too. Moses is, of course, writing this, that God wanted to destroy him, and Moses intervened on his brother's behalf. Hmm. God was going to kill Aaron for the sin. Moses pleads for his life. God spares him. God is a merciful God. Does this give you an indication about how God feels, though, about sin? When we sin, um, sinfully yield to peer pressure and to social pressure, he wanted to destroy him. That's what Aaron deserved. When we disobey God, God should destroy us, but he doesn't. He's a God of mercy. But his mercy has limits, and a time is coming when we will have to stand before him. Thank God for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus taking our place in death so we don't have to face the wrath of God. Jesus intervenes for us. Well, the lessons we can learn from Aaron here are very simple. We must not let our faith fall to peer and social pressure. It's that simple. I mean, I know it's hard at times. I've, I'm human too. I've done, I have given in at times to peer and, and social pressures, and I've regretted it like every time that happens. I just, ugh. But we shouldn't be worried about being labeled as being weird or strange either because we're followers of God. Jesus was labeled the same way. People thought he was odd. He was strange. Um, that's just the way it is because we don't live here. Christians do not belong to this world. We're foreigners here. <laughs> We're aliens. Yeah, we are. We're aliens in this sinful world. We don't belong here. And so trying to fit into the world's mold is contrary to what God clearly tells us to do. We can learn from Aaron from this. In his book, Hide and Seek, another favorite author of mine, James Dobson, writes uh, of a study conducted by uh, Ruth W. Um, Brenda and her associates. This is a famous one. You probably, many of you have probably heard this, but I just want to repeat this because this is sort of brings out the whole points I'm trying to make here, wrapping it up as a conclusion. So um, this Ruth Berenda does this experiment with her associates. They carried out an interesting experiment with teenagers designed to show how a person handled group pressure. Now, the plan was simple. They brought groups of 10 adolescents into a room for a test. Subsequently, each group of 10 was instructed to raise their hands when the teacher pointed to the longest line on three separate charts. What one person in the group did not know was that nine of the others in the room had been instructed ahead of time uh, to vote for the second longest line, not the longest. Regardless of the instructions they heard, once they were all together in the group, the nine were not to vote for the longest line, but rather vote for the next to the longest line. The desire, you see, of the psychologist was to determine how one person reacted when completely surrounded by a large number of people who obviously stood against what was true. 
Well, the experiment began with nine teenagers voting for the wrong line. The stooge, shall we call him, would typically glance around, frowning confusion, and then slip his hand up with the group. The instructions were repeated, and the next card was raised. Time after time, the self-conscious stooge would sit there saying, a short line is longer than a long line, simply because he lacked the courage to challenge the group. This remarkable conformity occurred about 70 in about 75% of the cases and was true of small children and high school students as well. Miranda concluded that, quote, some people had rather be president than right, unquote, which is certainly an accurate assessment. How do you stand against peer pressure? social pressure when they go against what is truth what is real truth what is absolute truth which is the word of god father god i pray that you help us to be bold not to cave like aaron but to be bold to stand up as john the baptist did as elijah did no matter what the numbers around us say lord help us not to be shall we say pointing to the second to the longest line when asked which one's the longest. Help us in all of our ways of our life to stand up for truth. You are a God of truth, and Lord, help us to be people of truth. Keep us strong, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on this lesson, and I hope this has helped you in your Christian walk and will continue to help you in in your walk as we continue in this series of uh, minor Bible characters called Keep the Fires Burning. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you get a chance, please comment um, to us back, Facebook, um, or you can go to our website and make comments too. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear the comments. And um, we just um, try to get the Word of God out, what the truth is. So thanks for joining us. And until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.